Hello, and welcome to this podcast of Sunday Sermons from Concord United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll find this message to be meaningful, insightful, and a refreshing part of your daily walk with God. Please feel free to share this podcast with family, friends, or anyone else who might benefit from it. This podcast is part of the digital ministries of Concord United, and we are grateful that you have chosen to experience worship and God's Word with us. For more information about Concord United and its ministries, please visit our website at concordunited.org. A happy 2023. It's wonderful to to see you today. I, I always like to think about what was going on, on on New Year's for some reason 2,000 years previously. And, and so if you were to go back 2,000 years, Jesus would be in that portion of his life when he was an adult and when uh, he was not yet widely known. He hadn't gone into to public ministry yet. Uh, he probably uh, surprisingly, would have been at this point around 27 years old. That's because we think he was born in 4 BC. Because you might not know this, but they didn't start calculating the dates by his birth immediately when he was born. That took hundreds of years, and the good old monks who did that in the 300s or so, uh, they just miscalculated by about four years, we think, based on new archaeology uh, and new uh, research into scripture fragments and our best dating uh, from historical documents of that age. So he was in that period when he was a carpenter. He was probably financially providing for his mother Mary, who'd been widowed, uh, and he'd been through the death of his father Joseph. Uh, He was in close relationship with brothers and sisters, one brother born particularly close to him uh, named James. And also probably he was dealing with people's expectations of him. Uh, There were whispers most likely that, why isn't he married yet? He, he makes enough money to be married. In, in fact, I, I had a, a, a friend who's Jewish say, you know, if Mary was a good Jewish mother, uh, she would have had a, a, a young lady at the home for dinner like every other week just to see if Jesus would connect with them. Uh, now, we don't know... Uh, how Mary responded or how she thought about him in regards to the prophecies that had been made, the angels she'd heard. But this was his life 2,000 years ago uh, as uh, the new year dawned. But of course, uh, back then they they counted the years differently. Um, When Jesus was born, he was most likely born in the Jewish calendar in year 3,756. That was a calculation the Jews made based on when they thought creation had happened. And at that point, they thought it had been 3,756 years since creation based on their readings of the scriptures. He was also born in a territory of the Roman Empire where he would have been under the Julian calendar. The Julian calendar, which was implemented by Julian Caesar, one of the emperors, and the The Caesars dated their calendars based on their own reigns. You know, you were in the first year of this emperor, the second year of this emperor, but they also dated it all the way back to what they believed was the turning point of history. And Jesus was born in year 505 on that Roman calendar, 505 years since the founding of Rome. They weren't arrogant at all right? But they thought that was when history really began and got going, was after the city of of Rome was founded. And so that's how they they counted their time. And 
how we count our time says a lot about what we think is actually important. Uh, and it's how we seek to order and, and structure our lives. And, and if you uh, switch or, or you aren't able to count your time in the same way, it can feel real chaotic and, and real out of control. In, in our household, uh, we, have, we have two documents uh, that are of the greatest importance, that have author- absolute authority over our lives. And, and the, these aren't any of the legal documents that are in the, the, fa- the fire safe, you know, security box. No, there are two documents that have just utter absolute authority over our lives. The first is the Bible. We read it every day. Uh, we, we, try, we try to follow it. The second is the calendar on our phones, particularly the calendar that is synced between my phone and my wife's calendar. And if it is on that calendar, it is going to happen. And if it is not on that calendar, it is probably not going to happen. And if you needed something to happen and you did not put it on that calendar, you have no one to blame but yourself. And sometimes if you need something done and you don't put it on that calendar, there are vast disastrous consequences for every involved, so much so uh, that it is quite tempting sometimes to go back and backdate a post as if it were on. I've never done that. I've never done that. I've been tempted. I've never done that. Okay. Uh, Because that's so important. Well, we went through a period for about a week where because of the magic of technology, our calendars wouldn't sync. It was chaotic. It felt entirely out of control, like there were constantly things you needed to do and you couldn't figure out what they were and you just knew stuff was falling through the cracks. And, and, then, we, and then we figured it out. And as you might guess, it was user error. Uh, but that's what happens when you, when you don't have a, a calendar or, or a plan. You feel, you feel out of control, right? Uh, we, we love that feeling of being in control and how you date your calendar matters. What we find in these calendars from Jesus' day, was Rome dated their calendar based on what they could control, right? They based their calendar on what they did when they built their city, uh, their emperors. The Jews based their calendar on what God did, the God who was in control, the God who created. And we all have this decision we have to make in life. Are we in control or is God in control? And most of the time, the most influential groups, the most influential voices we hear are telling us that we're in control. Uh, that's kind of like the Roman calendar in Jesus' day. But then there are these other voices whispering to us, no, 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 God's in control. And we want to encourage you each day to begin by recognizing that God's in control. Uh, and so we, we ask you to, to follow along with our scripture reading plan. We've got a scripture reading plan right now at the front desk. You can get it online at concordunited.org Bible. It has a scripture for every day. We need to begin our days uh, recognizing who's in control. Because we as humans, we love that feeling of being in control. We, we absolutely love the illusion that we're in control, but what we believe is that it turns out we're not, right? And we get that real early in life, that, that love of control. Sometimes between year two and year three of life, you learn the word no, and, and you learn how to say no, and you even learn how to say no when what you really mean is yes, 
but you just like saying no. And, and so I, I, I know many parents who've had the experience of you're on a long road trip, you're driving, you've got the kids in the back seat, and you're like, you know what, it's hot, we've been in the car a long time, let's stop and get ice cream. So you stop and get ice cream, everybody's happy, except you got a three-year-old. And the three-year-old is hot, and the three-year-old is hungry, and you're like, would you like ice cream? No. You sure you don't want ice cream? No. The rest of us are getting ice cream. Would you like any ice cream? No. Five miles down the road. I wanted ice cream. Right? So, I mean, fortunately, if it's not your first rodeo as a parent, you've already figured that out uh, and are scouting out the next exit that, that you're going to get off the, the, the interstate. Uh, but that's an important developmental step for us as humans is taking control where we can, learning to say no when we're kids. But there's a really important spiritual step for us when we're adults. And that's learning that ultimate control of our lives is a, an illusion and that God's in control. And that God provides for us a life for which we were created that we can't find if we're trying to control everything rather than giving that over to God. So I want to ask you, are you addicted to the illusion of control? Are you? And here's the other thing I want to ask you. When I just asked that question, did one of your loved ones look at you and smile? That might be a hint. That might be a hint that maybe you like control a little better than, than you thought you liked control. Well, I want to share with you today a story about some folks who loved God and loved seeking the truth and finding out the truth about life more than they loved control. And these are folks we often call wise men, or in some translations of the Bible, they're referred to as magi. Uh, they, they came and uh, tra traveled, it, it said that, that they came from the east uh, and, and they traveled to Bethlehem. I want to read to you the account of their journey from Matthew's gospel, the second chapter. And then we want to talk a little bit about what we can learn from them for, for our lives. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at his rising. And we have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is, has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod secretly called the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring him word so that I also may go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out there and ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Now, what do we find out about the wise men here? One of the first things we find out about them is that 
they loved truth more than they loved control. And we have to say, do, do we? Look at what they were willing to go through to find the truth, right? Uh, they, they were willing to journey to a foreign land. And whenever you do that, you give up control. Uh, have any, any of you remember when you first got your passport and you first left the country, if, if you've been out, out of the country. Do you remember, what, like, it's real exciting you get your passport. Uh, and then you go through, and hopefully it's real exciting because they stamp it. And, and sometimes it's depressing because they don't. And you want to say, I've traveled thousands of miles. Will you just stamp it? Like, it's a little ink too much to ask. But you get through, and it, you're like, oh, we're in a new country. This is wonderful. Uh, and I remember the first time I left the country... I actually left on my own. I was going to stay with a family that my family knew in another country. And they didn't speak English in that other country. And I went from excited to where do I go now, right? And, and, what, and if you've been to a country where they don't speak English, if you've been to a country uh, where maybe Christianity isn't the dominant religion, uh, where life's played by a different set of rules, if you've been to a country uh, that isn't so much a democracy, you know things are very different there. And when you travel out of the country, uh, you lose a lot of control that you have over your life when, when you're in the country. They did that. They, they did that. And they had to deal uh, with a, dishon a dishonest king, Herod. They had to deal with changing their plans of how they, they would get back because of what that king was up to. And yet they did. They, they loved truth enough to, to do that. Uh, they, they wanted truth more than they wanted control. And, and some of us, uh, we, we get very worried about giving God control uh, over certain parts of our lives. Uh, we, we, we say we love truth. Uh, we, we say we love God. But there are certain parts of our lives that we're very hesitant to give God control over. And we have to say, do, do we love truth more than we love control. Uh, the, the next thing that we find from the wise men is that they were willing to take risks to find the truth. Not only did they have to give up control, they had to take significant risks in order to find the truth. And we have to ask ourselves, are, 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 we, will, are we willing to do that? Think about the cost they incurred. Like for us to fly across the country, like we, we can go from one side of the country to, to the other. Uh, often for less than a thousand dollars that and, and you know that would pale in comparison to what they had to spend uh, to to take this long journey uh, from their country all all the way to to Bethlehem uh, when when we 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 get upset you know if we have to drive at night and it's raining and there's a glare we get upset we consider it dangerous Imagine what they had to do. Imagine what it was like to travel in those days when you had to worry about bandits, right? And bandits uh, weren't, you know, um, so, you know, we didn't refer to like uh, bandits as somebody driving too fast back then. Like those were people who would beat you up and take all your stuff. And they were traveling with extreme amounts of wealth. Uh, they had gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, each precious, each extremely expensive. Uh, gold signifying the gift you give a king. Frankincense signifying the gift you give a god, uh, a god who 
uh, because you, you offered your incense, it was burned as part of your prayers. Uh, and then uh, myrrh, which was a perfume that was used to anoint bodies before burial, signifying that Jesus' life would be a sacrifice. They're carrying these things with them. Uh, they, knew, they knew that made them a target when, when they were on the road. They were going to some towns and some places along the road where they would just have to pinch a tent and camp. Other places, uh, they would go in and there weren't big hotels back then. You didn't have Holiday Inn Express. You certainly didn't have breakfast bars, you know, at, at your hotel. Uh, you relied on the hospitality of others uh, within the town. There were hospitality codes because that was the only way people, that commerce and travel could happen back then. If people were willing to take other people they didn't know into their own homes, that's what you were relying on. And they went. They, 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 took, all, they took all those risks uh, to, to come and, and, and see Jesus. Are, are we willing to take risks to find out the truth about life? What makes searching for the truth so risky uh, for us is this little thing that psychologists call confirmation bias, right? Uh, confirmation bias means that we enjoy hearing things that back up the opinions we already have, right? We, we enjoy it when things happen that back, like, like you know, um, yesterday, apparently there was this big football game on late at night. And, and apparently uh, the two teams were both just incredibly great and, and it came down to like one kick uh, and, and you know that, that kick went a certain way and I'm sitting there after it does and I'm like I knew the SEC was best conference <laughs> I, 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 I knew it just not really supported by, by the facts entirely now I just made half of you mad um, but you know we, we enjoy things that back up what we already think uh, but when we find things that don't back up what we already think, uh, we often like to ignore them. Uh, the other day I was uh, listening uh, to the radio and I, it was a, a political show and they had somebody on there and they were making a political point that I disagreed with. Uh, and so I, I did what I typically do when that happens and I switched it to the sports channel. And then I got to thinking and I was like, you know, that was actually an intelligent argument that person was making. That, that makes me think about this in a slightly new way. I should probably turn the channel back. So I turned the channel back. And then uh, they were talking to the person. I didn't even know who the person was at the time. And then they said the person's name. And the person happened to be a person who was a national figure uh, who I have often thought of as a couple fries short of a Happy Meal. And it really upset me. It upset me that what they were saying was so intelligent and well thought out. Why should it upset me that one of the leaders of our country uh, has intelligent things to say that are well thought out? It upset me because it changed my bias against a person and against a thought because it forced me to really think newly about something for myself. But a lot within me revolted against that and said, I don't want to think about this. I know how I feel. I, I don't, I don't want to think, think about this. I imagine I'm not the only one who's had that experience. And one of the biggest problems we have in our society, in our churches, in our families 
is that a lot of times when we talk about things, uh, we haven't learned like the wise men to love truth, even if it means taking a risk. Even if it means taking a risk about maybe having to, to change the way we, we, we thought about something. Or, or to change the way we're acting about something. And particularly the risks seem elevated when we talk about Jesus. Uh, if you're going to talk about Jesus and possibly change what you think about Jesus uh, and what you think about his life and his ministry and his call upon your life and what you think uh, about what Jesus might want you to do, I mean, that, that takes a lot. Uh, and, and so we think, well, I don't want to think about that because what, what, if, uh, what if it's different than, than what I've thought? And here's what I can tell you. I, I can tell you that what I have found to be true in my life is that when my life uh, or my study of Scripture has caused me to have questions about Jesus and about Jesus' life in, in new ways, uh, that I have found uh, that there is a foundational promise in the Scriptures that Jesus is with us. That he rose again and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he is with us. And so it is the same Jesus that I am questioning who gives me the power to question him. And what I find is that sometimes when I go in these questions, ultimately they help me understand Jesus better. Sometimes by changing my perspective a little bit. Sometimes by allowing me to arrive back but more strongly at the thought I at the belief I held before because I had explored it more fully and now not only did I hold it more strongly but now I had more empathy and I could be better understanding of others who dealt with the same questions and the same thoughts and I could be more helpful as as they wrestled through them uh, do we do we love the truth enough to take risks to find it uh, when, whenever you seek the truth uh, it can involve significant risks. I want to tell you the scariest part of going to seminary for me, of studying to be a pastor. Uh, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't the academics. Um, I was more utilitarian about that. I felt like probably as much money as I was paying to be there, they were going to do their best to help me find a way to graduate. Uh, it, uh, and it wasn't what I thought it'd be. What I thought, what I was most scared of when I started seminary, and this is interesting because I often, you know, will have the experiences in life where, you know, somebody finds out I'm a pastor and suddenly they start treating me differently. Uh, you know, uh, so, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. Uh, but I don't really mind that as much because I just realized that's human nature and, and we humans do things like that. Because I did the same thing. I had stereotypes about pastors uh, that they weren't like really real people myself, particularly when I went to seminary. My biggest fear was social life. Because I was scared that my classmates who were studying to be pastors, that their idea of a really good time would be going in their room and reading their Bible and praying. And I'm all for that. I'm all for that every morning of the week. Just as an early 20-something, I was not for that on Friday night. I did not think that was really in line with what God wanted for us on Friday evenings. I, I thought that involved more like athletic events and nice restaurants and concerts. Uh, and, and thankfully, I, I got there and I found out these other people in class with me, like uh, they were red-blooded humans. 
and, and they liked athletic events and nice restaurants and concerts and uh, you know they they knew how to have pray and have fun uh, thankfully I will tell you what ended up terrifying me in seminary it's church history church history how, how could church history terrify you well here's the thing we had to study the different Christian denominations and for the first time in my life, I had to ask myself, are you a Methodist? Are you actually a Methodist? Now, I had tens of thousands of dollars of student loans that I would have to repay if I decided that I wasn't actually a Methodist. They were forgiven as long as I remained a Methodist pastor, but they were not forgiven if I changed to something else. And I had, to, but I also had to say, I'm gonna base the rest of my life and career on this what if I actually think somebody else gets it better? And, and there were things about all the different traditions that, that I respected and admired, but I can remember just this incredible sense of relief when I realized I actually am a Methodist. Like, this bodes so much better for my career path. Uh, but because there was something at stake, right? There was, it wasn't just an intellectual exercise. There was a risk. When there's a risk, are you still willing to love the truth more? To love the truth enough to seek it? And here's the truth that the wise men discovered because they loved the truth more than control and they loved the truth enough to take a risk. The truth that they discovered was that Jesus was Lord. And so the, the wise men worshiped Jesus as Lord. And the question is, will we? Will we do that? What's, what's that mean? In uh, Verse 11 of Matthew 2, uh, it, it says these words of what happened when they encountered Jesus. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Homage is, is an older English word for, for worship, for honoring. That They knelt down and they worshiped him. Uh, they recognized him as, as Lord, uh, as the one who should have authority over them. Amazingly, most likely... These folks we call the Magi or the wise men, they most likely were Zoroastrian priests. Zoroastrianism was an ancient religion and it has the distinction of being one of only two ancient religions along with Judaism in believing in one God, what we would call monotheism. Uh, back then, uh, the intellectually acceptable, uh, the culturally uh, appropriate thing to do was to believe in multiple gods. Now today that sounds ridiculous to us, but that back then they thought, why in the world would you believe in one God? Surely there are many gods uh, and they are rather adolescent and competing with each other and the conflicts we see on earth surely come from the competitions among the gods in heaven and uh, you know, when you need something, you, you need a specific, uh, you know, you need a God that specializes in that, right? Uh, you need a God that specializes in war, a God that specializes in fertility, a God that specializes in crops and agriculture. Who, who wants a generalist God? You need, you need experts, right? That, that was the thought back then, dominantly, but not the Jews. The Jews believed in the one true God who, who created all that is, and not the Zoroastrianism, Zoroastrians. They believed in one true God. And both the Jews and Zoroastrians believed that if you looked at creation, 
you could find God's thumbprint in creation. You could find evidence of the creator from the creation. And the Zoroastrians particularly believed you could do so by studying the stars. And so these were folks who had been trained to study the stars. And then they, they saw a sign in the heavens that they probably had studied about but thought they would never see. And they were convinced from the uh, appearance and the placement of this one star that it would lead them uh, to God's chosen one. Uh, to one uh, who God had chosen to have authority over them. Now they probably didn't know entirely what that meant. I doubt when they knelt there before his manger uh, or maybe they got there a little later and he was a toddler who kept telling them no. I don't know exactly what, what time in Jesus' early life they got there. Uh, but when they did, I don't think they would have looked at Jesus and used the language that we use today. I, I don't think they would have said true God of true God, light from light, eternal. I don't think, I don't think they, they would have said you are the second person of eternity, co-eternal with the Father of the same substance as the Father. Those are all important and I believe true foundational Christian beliefs. But I think what they would have said is uh, you are the chosen one of God who we've, been, who we've been led to. And they knelt down and they gave him gifts fit for God, fit for a king, fit for someone who would, who would give his life as a sacrifice. And they worshiped him. They recognized him as one having authority over them, even though he was still so small. They recognized him as Lord. That's what it means to call Jesus Lord, as, to recognize Jesus as one who has authority over your life. And as we've talked about, we struggle to give other people authority. We, we want it for ourselves, right? But they said, no, you, you are worthy. You are, are worthy of this authority over our lives because you are Lord. We often call Jesus Lord and Savior. Well, we run those words together and sometimes we don't think about the distinction between them. To say that Jesus is Savior is to say that Jesus is the one who forgives us, uh, who makes us right with God. Jesus is the one who grants us the assurance of eternity with God. But to say Jesus is Lord is to say Jesus has authority over our lives. Jesus has authority. And by following him and his ways, we find the life that is faithful to God. We find the life for which we were created both now and forever. And so for people like us who love control so much, it's important that we step back and we, we give Jesus that authority. In fact, John Wesley, the, the founder of the Methodist movement, uh, he, he, the early Methodists, they worshiped every New Year's Day, whether it was Sunday or not. I want to congratulate you for being here on New, New Year's Day. Uh, that, that, that is awesome. But it, a couple hundred years ago, it wouldn't matter if New Year's was on Sunday or not. They'd have a worship service on, on Sunday. And uh, on Sunday, they'd, they'd get together and they would pray a particular prayer that Wesley had, had put together and that he uh, found and, and adjusted. And, and it goes something like this. I want to read it to you and, and then we, we're going to pray it together. But first, I want to go over it with you. It goes like this. It's called the Wesleyan Covenant Prayer. I'm no longer my own but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee, exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full, 
Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. Okay, let's look at that. Let, let's go, go back to the, the previous slide. There we go. Thank you. Okay, um, put me to doing. Give me a job. Don't you love having an important job? Give me, give me a job. Let me do something. Uh, put me to suffering. Uh, oh, oh, man. Uh, let, let, let me suffer. Let me be in phys, physical pain. Uh, let me be in the pain of not having something to do so someone else can have something to do. Let me be employed by thee, uh, again, lifted up with an important task or laid aside for thee. Let me, let me step aside so that somebody else can do that because that's what, what you're calling for, for now, God. Let me be exalted for thee. Let, let other people say good things about, about me or brought low for thee. Uh, let me be criticized. Let me experience humiliation. Let me be full. Let me just feel like, you ever have that feeling like everything's right? Like, you know, the sun is shining and God's in his heaven. You know, let, let me have that feeling. Let me be empty. Let, let me have to search terribly uh, for the comfort and, and truth I need. Uh, let, let me have to, have to wonder how I'm going to get by. Uh, let me have all things. Let me have nothing. All right, let's go to the next slide. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. This, this, this is a prayer that's teaching those of us who are addicted to control what it means to let Jesus be our Lord. And I love these two words. They're words we gloss over in this prayer often. They're actually my favorite two words of the prayer. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. Freely. I'm not doing this because anybody's making me. I'm doing this because I'm choosing to and I actually have control to choose to do this or not and I'm choosing to do it and heartily. I'm excited about doing this. Jesus, I've looked at who you are and you are greater and you are more true and you have more wisdom and compassion and insight into life than anyone I've ever seen. You are more trustworthy than anything else I can find in this life. I do this freely and I do it enthusiastically, heartily. I yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Some, some of you are, are probably ready to pray that prayer. Uh, for some of you, uh, this is a good reminder of what it means to let Jesus be Lord, of what it means to give Jesus authority over your days, your calendar, all, all your days, uh, of, of being willing to say, Jesus, I love the truth more than I love uh, control. And so if you want to lead me somewhere new, I'm, I'm ready to go. I, I, I give you everything. Others of you, you might hear this prayer and you might think, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was kind of okay with that forgiveness of sins bit. But, but, but this, this, is, this is a bit more. Or you might be thinking today, I, I just don't know. If that's what it means to follow Jesus, I, I mean, I don't know. If, if that's where you are, then I, I, want you to, I want to encourage you to do something. This year, make it your resolution simply to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I actually give you permission to deviate from our Bible reading plan. You have a special exception. Uh, and, and I think Pastor Brooke is just furious with me over offering this exception. Uh, but but I, I give you that special permission. Uh, I'll sign a waiver if you need me to. Uh, but I just want you to read those four books. And as you read those four books, I just want you to look at Jesus' life and say, have I ever seen anything truer than this?
Have I ever seen anything more beautiful than this? Have I ever seen anything more glorious than this? Have I ever seen anything more loving than this? Have I ever seen anything uh, that uh, more trustworthy uh, that I should give my life to uh, other than this? That's greater than this. And then if you haven't, I hope you'll come back and pray this prayer. I hope you'll pray this prayer. Because I believe this is a prayer that says, Jesus, you are Lord. I believe this is a prayer that allows us to worship just like the wise men worshiped long ago. To say, in our lives, you are king. You are God. You are sacrifice. Uh, let's, let's go back to the beginning of the prayer if we can. And friends, if you're ready, I'd invite you to pray this prayer aloud with me. I am no longer my own but thine. Put me to what thou wilt, rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee, exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.